Prepare your hearts. Love you, Kurt. So glad that you're back. As Kurt said, my name's Matt King, and we are in a sermon series starting today called Cross Encounters. If you're not familiar with what a series of messages are, it's just these teachings are all going to be themed, like Kurt said, on these different Cross Encounters. And the one that I'm talking about today is actually found in John chapter 19, verses 25 through 27. Go ahead, if you have a Bible, open it up to that, or if you have a Bible app, open it up to that. And while you're there, let me say a few things and kind of set the scene for what's going on there. First of all, thanks for choosing church. I never want to miss a chance to say to you guys, thank you for choosing church. You may not know this, but there are about 100 people every week who are working hard to serve you. And so when you show up, just by showing up, you actually make a difference for them. And so thank you. Thank you for that. As Kurt said, this cross encounters, this particular encounter is Jesus with his mom. And I want to set the scene for you, and I know that many of you probably know the story of Jesus' crucifixion, but that's what's happening here. He's on a Jerusalem hillside. He's on a cross. And we're told from history that there are two thieves who are close by. We don't know if there's one on one side or one on the other, but we know all three of them are there together. And there's a lot of people. You have all the Roman soldiers who are gathered. You have a lot of the gawkers, you know, the lookers. And then you have all of the officials associated with the priesthood who are responsible for putting Jesus into this position in the first place. And while he's hanging there, he, he notices there in amongst the crowd his mom and a few other people. And he notices John, his best friend, the disciple. Who he doesn't see is his dad, Joseph. You see, a lot of people know that Jesus was referred to as a carpenter, but what they don't know is that a carpenter in those days really meant more about working with stone than it did working with wood, and that Jesus learned this trade from his father, Joseph, who was a craftsman out of stone. During that time, the Roman occupation was expanding quite a bit, and it was during that time that many people who were professional tradesmen were forced by the Romans to become engaged in the process of building these palatial estates, these palaces. And so during that time, it was estimated that thousands upon thousands of Jews, professional Jews, were killed in the construction projects. It's highly likely that Joseph, Jesus' dad, died sometime when he was in his teens. And so as a direct result, his dad wasn't there on this day. Now, I don't know what was going through Jesus' mind when he looked down. I don't know what was going through Mary's mind. But here's what I do know, that in that culture, the estate of a father doesn't pass along to the wife. It passes along to the firstborn son. And with Jesus being up on a cross, getting ready to die, well, you can see how that would kind of complicate things. So in the midst of this moment, Jesus does what he is known for. In fact, Every single person in this room, regardless of whether or not your relationship is good or strong or weak or poor or wonderful or growing, most people would say that Jesus is the most utterly minded individual that has ever lived. And indeed he has. And in this situation, we see typical Jesus being utterly minded. And he says this to his mom. If you have your Bible open, John chapter 19, verse 25, this is what it says. Standing near the cross were Jesus' mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. 
When Jesus saw his mother standing there beside the disciple he loved, he said to her, Dear woman, here is your son. And he said to the disciple, Here is your mother. And from then on, this disciple took her into his home. This passage to me is amazing. It's amazing because being otherly minded is not natural to us, is it? It's not. But yet in this situation, we see Jesus, after he's experienced being up all night, systematically tortured by Roman soldiers, and now finds himself suspended by three spikes, one through each wrist and one through both of his feet together, he still is otherly minded. How many of you have heard people joke about not being able to be nice to others in the morning until they've had their first cup of coffee? Yeah, you know, some of us are that person. How many of us, you don't need to raise your hand on this, how many of you, while on the freeway, have been known to slip into some bad behaviors toward other people because you've had a hard day at work? You know? Yeah. Me. The fact of the matter is, is that we're not people who are naturally naturally otherly and we admire those who are we are drawn to those who are how many of you remember where you were at on the day of 9-11 boy I do and I remember what it was like afterwards when all these stories are starting to come out of these heroic people who risked their lives and lost their lives in the effort to save others and we still honor them as otherly we do I know when I hear the stories of the single mom who has busted her butt to take care of her kids to make sure that she's got a job and getting them through school and all those other things, being not only mom, but also having to be dad and to raise them through this. When we hear stories like that, we say about that woman, we like you, we honor you as being otherly. I do a lot of memorials as a pastor. And of all the memorials that I've done, it's without fail. Those who are otherly, they are honored well at their memorial. Those who are not otherly, they're not honored at their own memorial. And I've done those. It's weird. We are drawn to those who are otherly. In fact, it's so important to us as human beings that you know what we do when we have small children? We start teaching them when they're really, really young to be otherly and share. Yeah, you share that. When they get older, we try to re-emphasize and enforce otherliness by getting them a puppy. We're going to take care of that thing, you know. Learn some skills. And hopefully as they get older and they grow older, they, they move on into society, and, and we want them to be otherly, right? We want them to be the models and the examples of being, isn't that true? Hello? Yeah? Somebody here? Yeah, okay. So, this is true for me. It's very important to us. Well, what about here at this church? Are we otherly? Do people around you see you as otherly? Who here besides me could use a little bit more otherliness in their life? Okay. Well, for those of you who do, there's something that needs to change. And where it needs to change is here. Now, 
And that might not make sense, but do that with me because it will help it make sense here in just a minute. I know that some of you are like, I ain't doing that. There's no way I'm too cool. That's all right. You don't have to, but you'll remember it now because I've said this. For those of you who are doing it, it's going to work even better. God wants to change us here. Let me explain what I mean by that, okay? Romans chapter 2. Paul's writing to the church in Rome, and he says these incredible words. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So real quick, we have to let God transform us into new people. The way that you and I change is when we decide to let God change the way that we think. He wants to change the way that we think because then it'll change the way that we act. But that has to be on our terms. God says, you let me. You let me change you by changing the way you think. And then Jesus comes along and says this, from the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, lying, slander. These are what defile you. So in other words, the heart here affects this here, this thinking thing inside of our head. And as a direct result, when those things change, all kinds of other things can happen now. God can begin to do some amazing stuff, and we are no longer, no longer looking like the people who aren't otherly. Okay? Tracking with me? But here's the problem with that. Huge problem with that. We only let God change the things that we are discontent with. You notice that? We, know, we, we just don't like to work on anything that we are content with. The things that we are content with, it stops. It doesn't move beyond that. Let me give you an example of this, and I hope it's not too painful. But those of you who just raised your hand with me that said you could use a little bit more otherliness are just like me, and that the reason why we're not more otherly than what we want to be is because we stopped working on it when God was willing to continue. That's the cold, hard truth. And so in order, for, in order for us to be able to move and transcend beyond the now, what we are now, to the better version of ourselves that happens through change, the thing that needs to take plus is for us for, to stop asking ourselves, Matt, what do you think of your own spiritual development? I think I'm pretty good. <laughs> and start asking, hey, God, what do you think of my spiritual development? Do you think I'm okay? Do you, th do you think I'm okay, God? Should I stop now? Have I reached what you are? See, God wants to do some changes in us. And I believe that one of the biggest reasons why so many people are underdeveloped spiritually is because they intentionally remove themselves from the situations or the experiences that God would develop them in or challenge them in spiritually, where he would teach them things about himself or about others or about them. We sing a song here at East Point called Oceans. You may not know the name of it. But the lyrics to it are this. It says this, Spirit, lead me where my trust is without borders. Let me walk upon the waters wherever you would call me. Take me deeper than my feet could ever wander, and my faith will be made stronger in the presence of my Savior. Love that song. My daughter Grace sings it beautifully. Loves that song. But this whole song, the whole idea of it is about us going into places where God leads and it challenges us to grow. It challenges us to spiritually develop. That's the whole idea of it. God wants to do these things. And I know that many of us have this, this feeling or a fear about what it is that God will do to us and to move into those situations. But we all need to understand this, that any situation, 
any situation where you follow God into an experience of spiritual development, any situation where you follow God into it, that experience can be spiritual development for us. That's not easy. It's not fun. In fact, sometimes it's just downright painful, which is the reason why a lot of people aren't more consistent with the way that they follow God. And instead, they kind of choose to more like date God. They kind of have this relationship with God where they're really cool being associated with him and hanging out and doing stuff, but it's not like they're moving in together. You know, it's not like they're going to get serious or anything like that. And if that's you, and you've kind of made God an addendum to your life, you need to understand that that's not what God wants to be. God is not interested in dating you. What God's interested in is radically possessing us, changing us, radically transforming us, doing a work inside of here. And the reason for it is, is so that those who are near, do that with me. I know and you guys are thinking, no, I'm still, I'm too cool for this. This is not happening. But if you do it, it'll help you remember more. For those of you who have your arm around your girl or the other way around guy, just kind of like move your finger. It'll, it'll still help. It'll help. You're still stretching. Use the, the reason why, I know the sign language is probably here. This is what near means. But realistically, I want you to understand is that there are people around you, people around me, that should know that God is doing something here. They're going to be the ones who are going to experience that. God wants to do something here in us so that those who are near to us can tell. It's a part of the way that he likes to do work. In fact, there's a verse. I love this. It's not going to be up on the screens. It's in the book of Titus. It's in chapter 2, and this is what it says in verse 11 through 14. For the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people. And we are instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. We should live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God while we look forward with hope to that wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ will be revealed. He gave his life to free us from every kind of sin, to cleanse us, and to make us his own very own people, and here's the last part of it, totally committed to doing good deeds. What does this mean? I love this because it's talking about the here affecting the near. What God did is that he changed us. And the us, Christians, are supposed to be people who are so transformed as a direct result of his, his life inside of us that those good deeds are now directed toward those who are near us. They start to see this around us. And I believe that the reason for this is this. Only in an environment where we are around others can God effectively demonstrate what he is doing in us by what he is doing through us for others? I want to say that again. Only in an environment where we are around others can God effectively demonstrate what he is doing in us by what he is doing through us, here to near. Only in that environment, it becomes the measurement. It becomes the greatest evidence of our love for God. And there are two places where this should be most known. And it's obvious. I'm not going to tell you anything you don't already know. The number one place is in your family. If the people in your family cannot tell that God is doing a work here, and they are saying to you in a variety of different ways, you suck, <laughs> then chances are you do. Just saying. If your family thinks that there's no possible way that God is doing any work in here, ugh, that's not good. 
That's not good. The second place is at church. This place, believe it or not, and I know that sometimes it's hard when you're sitting there in your own spot, in your own seat, for other people to get to know a lot about you, other than maybe how well you sing. But believe it or not, at church, a variety of other things, we're supposed to know whether or not one another is actually living out the kind of life that is exemplary, that models, that looks like Jesus, otherliness. In fact, Paul, one of the guys who got most of the churches going, said this, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 2 through 3, always be humble and gentle, be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. Showing love is the demonstration. And to do so with those who have faults by being patient with them takes effort, but it doesn't take any effort, none whatsoever, to take a superiority role and to treat others harshly. No effort whatsoever. It takes no effort whatsoever to show our annoyance with people who are just a pain, frustrating. None. It takes effort. It takes effort when you're going to be otherly. It takes a lot of strength and it takes a lot of discipline. And God wants to develop this into us. And so what he does is he moves us away from isolation to being otherly. If you don't believe me, look at Acts chapter 2. It's a fantastic read. When the Holy Spirit was promised by Jesus to come into this world, what we were first evidenced or what we were first seeing was that they started grouping together and gathering together. And the reason for it was is it was in that environment where God would start to demonstrate what he was doing in us by what he was doing through us for others. And God will never stop on that. God will never, ever give up on that. The Holy Spirit will never stop challenging you and I to grow and to become better and to allow and to let him have more influence over us here to those who are near. And the reason for it is, is he wasn't ever intending on it just to stop there. In fact, God wants us to have this need, not necessarily even a desire, but a need now take what it is that he has given to us in this love and to give it to somebody who was far. Far! Sign language, far. Let's just do this. Do this with me. Point. That's easier, right? Yeah. It'll, it'll help you remember it more. Here, near, far. Near, far. This is what God wants to do, is he wants to affect us here so it'll affect those around us near and then we'll do something with it and we'll take it far. What does that mean for us? Well, for, for you, far might mean your neighbor across the street or next door, or a couple kitty quarter down or this general area. Maybe there's somebody and, you know, you've thought about it a couple of times, you know, like one of our neighboring groups. Like, you know, I should probably do that. I should, I should but I, I don't like my neighbor. And I'm frustrated with him. And God's like, listen, I don't care whether or not you like your neighbor. This isn't about you changing your neighbor. This is about me changing you. I want to do something in you to spiritually develop you. Quit worrying about me trying to do something on your neighbor. I want to work with you. Okay. For that person, that's what far might mean. For others, it might mean you got that person at school or at work, and you're thinking, they're weird. I don't like them. But God's like, I do. And I want you to, too. God, can't you choose somebody else? He says, no, I want to spiritually develop you. What's your far? For some, maybe your far is going to Guatemala with us, East Point Missions team. You see, when God moves you into places that are far, almost always he teaches you these three things. He teaches you something about him. He teaches you something about others. And he teaches you something about you. 
When God moves and directs you into something far, he's going to teach you about himself. He's going to teach you about others. He's going to teach you something about you. And when you get into that environment, God begins to spiritually develop you. There's this organization that we are partnered with at, uh, at East Point. I have two bracelets that I wear every single day and have for years now. One is this gray rubbery one. It says East Point. It reminds me to pray for all you, all y'all, every day. And then there's this braided one with this coconut shell with a little footprint in it. And uh, this is for La Mission, this, this organization over in Guatemala that we partner with. And you guys are a part of that story, believe it or not. Last year in 2015, they, they partnered together with 17, or excuse me, 19 different groups of people from the U.S., and we were one of them. And they went to 17 different locations, trucking in all the necessary equipment to run a medical and a dental clinic and all the personnel necessary for it. And 8,081 patients were served in 2015. It was amazing to be a part of that. Besides all of that, there were 150 water filters that were delivered and installed and set up for people in the jungle locations. And there were over 10 tons of food that were delivered to them. And you guys are a part of that story, and it was amazing. And this team that got to be a part of it truly did get to experience something that was awesome. And the reason why they got to do that and the reason why I'm challenging you to do that is because this is exactly what Jesus' will is for every single one of you and for me. And I want to prove that to you. See, just a few hours before Jesus was up on that cross and he was looking down at John, his buddy, his best friend, and saying, hey, dude, man, take care of my mama for me. While he was up there, just a few hours before, he was in the state of prayer, talking to God, saying, all right, this is it. I want to read to you just a small little portion of this prayer because it affects us. This is what he says. Just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world, and I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so they can be made holy by your truth. I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. You see, Jesus didn't just send those disciples. He sent you and I to go into this world. And in order for that to happen, something's got to happen here, and it's got to start impacting those who are near. And when that happens, God has got you exactly where he wants you for spiritual development. And he'll take you into some place far to learn about him, to learn about others, and to learn about you. But don't just believe my word for it. Take a look at this video. Trust their word. Coming to Guatemala can be hard. So the hardest thing about Guatemala, I would say, is the environment that you're in. 
so the, the heat, the humidity, you know, the physical discomfort that, that you'll deal with. Um, for me, that was hard. The hardest part of Guatemala for me is being away from home, missing my family. For me, it's been the language barrier, definitely, especially working in the dental clinic, working one-on-one -on -one with the dentist. Hardest part is the family side, you know? I think it's hard to leave your family, leave your wife, parents, siblings. Leaving. It kind of just wrecks you. In a good way. very generous, especially the La Mission team. They're like family. What I love about Guatemala is the people, getting to talk to the people, or try to talk to them in Spanish. The people, I just, I love their soul. The way they just want to give. If they, when you come to help, they're just, they're willing to give you whatever they have. There are a lot of reasons why a person should come to Guatemala. In the U.S., we live in a bubble, and we need to get out and get some perspective. You should come to Guatemala because we all need to get out of our comfort zone, and everybody is thinking, why in the world would you go to Guatemala? To learn more about yourself and about God and um, about what your purpose is for how you come home. Because there's a lot of things that we should change in our own communities. What I've learned about God is that He provides. He's a provider. He's going to be there no matter what you're going through. You can always rely on Him and count on Him. He provides. I have learned that God is faithful to finish the work that He started. I've learned that God is true to what He says uh, He is, to who He is. The thing that I've learned about God is that his idea of the world is so much bigger than what mine is. That he loves all of us, like not just those who do good things or who have their life together. What I've learned about me is that I have a hard time surrendering. What I've learned about myself is that pride is something I still I still struggle with how much we have, how 
much we complain about the stupidest things. I'm not a people person, but I like to help people. That I can really do more than I think I can. I still haven't learned to accept myself and what God's asked me to do. Because if God asks us to come with Him, then He's got this really cool thing He wants to show us. A person should come to Guatemala if they need kind of like a jump start. We love to see life changing, and that's why you see here. It's not just one week to serve and give medicine, it's about to see how a family is changing their lives, a whole community is getting better because people like you is coming to serve next to us. It's amazing what God can do in you here, near, and far when you let him. I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to spend some time worshiping and closing here today and taking communion. It's going to give you, all of you, an opportunity to think beyond what it is that I said, to start listening to what God wants to say, and for you to say some things to him. If you're not familiar with communion, it's just really a combination of two words, common union. It's what Christians have been doing ever since Christians have decided to call themselves by Christ's name been a lot of different ways that it's been ceremonialized, but we're pretty simple here. We have stations that are set up all around. Feel free to get up at any point in time. Um, just step out and grab it and take it here if you want to, or take it back to your seat and take it. There are two different types, some that are double cup with juice and the bread underneath it, and some are safety sealed if you're one of those people who has a, a germophobia kind of a thing going on. We even have gluten-free that's available in the back. The point is, is it's on your timing and in your way. Feel free to get out and take it anytime you want to and worship and pray while you're doing it. And be asking God, what do you want to develop in me here so that those near to me or those far from me can tell? And for those of you who've never started a relationship with Christ, I'm gonna invite you to take communion as well. I'm just gonna ask you to do something really simple before you go step out and take it. Just have a conversation with Jesus that says something along the lines of, I'm ready, I give up. I want you. I no longer want to be control over my life. I don't know everything there is to know about it, but I know this. I'm ready to surrender. If that's you, just make that prayer. Enjoy communion with us, and then after these songs, I'll come back up and dismiss us. <laughs> I forgot I had to come back up. 
Wow, that was good. Thank you, guys. Thank you for choosing church again today. And I hope that God did some work in you. I hope God's doing some work in you and that you'll let him. You'll let him continue. Today, if you let him start doing some work here for the first time, I want to invite you to grab one of these. It's a new believer packet. We've got them by each door, no matter which door you're trying to escape through. They're there. Grab one. Open it up. There's some stuff inside that you get started. And then talk to somebody. Talk to a family member. Someone's been praying for you. Talk to me, one of the other pastors. We love to get you going and get you started. Maybe God's doing some work in you. And it's not just here, but he wants to start doing it near or far. A couple of ways you could begin that today. Take a pile of these. Give them away. Remember not to use them as a reminder, but give them away. Invite somebody to come. Chances are they're going to go someplace. They might just go with you. And if they're going someplace, so it's great, but don't be the one that missed an opportunity. And if you're interested in doing something far like us in Guatemala, go back to the info booth today. We'll get your info. We'll send you a link. You'll get the application two weeks from now. We're going to have our, our info meeting for those who are interested in going. And lastly, come back next week. Invite somebody. Don't miss one of these cross encounters and certainly don't miss Easter. Love you guys. Hope to see you next week. If you need prayer, come this way. Don't go that way. We'll pray with you.